And welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Today we're going to continue our preview of the Giants 2018 opponents. Yesterday we did the Eagles. Today we're going to do another division foe, and that will be the Washington Redskins. Their play-by-play announcer, Larry Michael, will be joining us at the bottom of the hour, so stay tuned for that. Before that, we want to try to get to as many phone calls as possible, and we're also going to get into a few other subjects before we hit the lines as well as Twitter. And let's start with, this was an interesting article that was just posted on ESPN today, Paul. They rated the number one wide receivers for all 32 NFL teams, and they put them in tiers. And they had Tier 1 as legitimate number 1 guys. There's no question. You know what you're getting out of these wide receivers. Then Tier 2 is sort of the group of wide receivers who they've shown some upside. They've shown some potential, but they still have a little bit more to prove. And I want to start, obviously, with the number 1 tier because clearly a giant is in that group, and that is Odell Beckham, which I don't think is necessarily a surprise. (laughs) And Michael Clay was the author of this article. And one of the things that he pointed to about Beckham is he does not have any doubts. He feels that... Odell Beckham is going to be able to pick up where he left off before the injury in 2016, and he's going to be able to basically put up similar numbers that he did over his first three seasons in the NFL. And he says he doesn't see why it's a stretch to think that he can get to 1,300 yards as well as double-digit touchdowns. And he thinks the arrival of Saquon Barkley is actually, if anything, going to help his production. And this is what they call the projected target share. And they have him at 28%. And they said, healthy during the better part of the 2014-16 seasons, Beckham handled 237 more targets than any other Giants player during that span. He registered a share of at least 27% each of those seasons and enters 2018 with Sterling Shepard the closest on the depth chart. So they are optimistic. They feel good that Odell Beckham is going to get back to what he did in 2016. And I don't think there's any reason to necessarily doubt that. Well, there's certainly a lot of hope from the medical staff here. They, they'd they like to believe that he's going to be great and, and there'll be no change from what he was before. I would say this. I think it's very hard when you're talking about the top-tier guys to quantify who really is one, two, three, and four. You know, I think they have five in the top-tier guys. It's almost like going to the supermarket and picking which fruit do you prefer. <laughs> Apples, pears, oranges, cantaloupes. I mean, these guys are legit game breakers, game changers, impact players who can dominate a game and beat you at any time. I think what really happens is and what separates a guy's true value is how much does he mean to his team? In other words, and you know, what do they talk about? Wins above replacement value, the war ranking in baseball. Correct. The sabermetrics guys yes, do that. they love that stuff. You know, I'm not big on that stuff, to be honest with you. But I can understand where people have a perception of a player's value and may believe that a particular receiver is better than another, even though they're in the same tier. Because, well, if you remove Odell Beckham from the Giants offense, what do you have? Well, we saw that last season. It wasn't very pretty. Uh, If you remove Brown from the Steelers' offense, are they going to be as hamstrung as the Giants were? I don't think so, to be perfectly honest. I think Beckham is more important to the Giants than A.B. is to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I guess I think that the Steelers, you could argue, may have a little bit more depth or proven depth on their team. And if you do take well, Brown out of the equation... Well, that factors into it, Of though. course it does, but I don't know necessarily if I would argue that Antonio Brown's not as important as Odell Beckham. Because remember, he's their main punt returner. He contributes on special teams, Paul. He draws okay, double teams. maybe he's not a great example. Maybe a better example would be Julio Jones or A.J. Brown. Um, A.J. Green. A.J. Yeah. Green, I'm sorry. Um Hey, I'm getting him and A.B. mixed up. <laughs> yeah, well, everybody's well, got they're, their... they're all top-tier guys. <laughs> right. Well, and, and just to clarify, you know, by the way, they had 18 guys in Tier 1 on this. Yeah, which is an awful lot of guys. A lot of guys. I me. thought they would differentiate them a little bit better. I mean, I've, I've always thought that Beckham was one of the top three receivers in football. That's how I have felt since he's come into the league. I, I think, you know, you have to consider him and Brown and... I, I really think Julio Jones. He's just such a, yeah, a dominant figure. I, I think those three guys and and anybody who wants to put them in any order is not going to get an argument from me. I'm with you. I, listen, if you want to be a little bit more conservative, I'd say top five. You know, if you want to be at least fair, because DeAndre Hopkins, I think, belongs in the conversation. 
I think he's a fraction below, but I would not fight well, you on that. I mean, the bottom line is he certainly has not had the best gift in terms of quarterbacks during the course of his career. But exactly. despite that, I think he's done a hell of a job. And and again, yeah, Green's got Andy Dalton, who is who has put up some numbers yeah. and has been really good on occasion. But you could certainly muscle him close to that group too. Yeah, but I think it, A.J. Green at least is working with a guy that's been fairly consistent in the regular season compared to DeAndre Hopkins, who he just hasn't had consistency under yeah. center. It's been a rotational door of quarterbacks. So that's why I said top five I think is fair. Top three is certainly not a stretch. But but I do think what happens is, regardless of whether or not a guy is really better than the other guy, I do think that win over replacement value. I do think that it's the combination of how important he is to the scheme and how many other pieces on offense that team has that then changes our perception of the guy's value. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, on, For example, Ezekiel Elliott on Dallas was incredibly important to their offense. It just... That short-circuited that offense probably as much as Beckham's loss to the Giants offense. It was just a mammoth blow to the stomach. Now, again, you could probably argue that other some other top-tier superstars, if they were taken out of the equation of their respective teams, it would not be, you know, a left hook to the jaw. Maybe it would it would hurt them for sure because you're talking about a superstar player. But it may not cripple them to the point where they're scoring more than a touchdown, fewer points per game. I mean, that's pretty nasty. I don't know too many guys in this league that you could actually say that about, that their presence could mean a touchdown a game difference to their offense. Well, because of their game playmaking ability, their playmaking ability in terms of what they do with maybe one simple catch and they could take it the distance, for example, what Odell Beckham does. But I think a lot of what Beckham does and some of these other top-tier wide receivers, Paul, doesn't necessarily always show up statistically in the box score. And that's why I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss Antonio Brown and DeAndre Hopkins if you remove them from the equation because just think about it. If you're not playing Antonio Brown, okay, you're the defensive coordinator, Paul. Oh, for sure. How much does that now free up your I'm flexibility to simplify this from a as defensive much as standpoint? Possible, but yeah. if you want to get real deep into it, you're darn straight because you know I love I love the coach's angle on this, and there is no doubt the spider web uh, of of things that you have to worry about as a coordinator when you're going up against one of those superstars on the other side. It's exactly what we talked about when we said the Giants should draft Saquon Barkley, because defensive coordinators are now going to be up. Every hour of the night on Monday, trying to figure out, uh-oh, um, we got to deal with Barkley and Beckham. Another weapon to worry about. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's pick your poison. It's it's a major headache. So if you want to go deeper and go that far, I'm not going to disagree with that because, you know, I love that stuff, and I absolutely agree with you. But I think on a simplistic level, there are superstars that you can take out of a lineup and not necessarily lose a touchdown a game. There are others who absolutely mean that much That's to fair. their teams, and I think Odell is one of those guys. No, and I think that also the fact that we had a majority of a season without Odell Beckham, you have some evidence, some hardcore evidence to go by, whereas some of these other wide receivers, in fairness, they have not missed as significant a chunk of a season so that you can at least see what the difference is like. So it's, right. it's hard to compute that. In terms of, right, if I take Julio Jones out of the lineup, what happens to Falcons? Now, in fairness, Jones has missed a few games here or there. I'm not saying that he's been 100% healthy, but Atlanta has been one of the most consistent offenses in the NFL. And part of that is because of the quarterback. They have a two-headed monster in terms of their backfield. They've also had some decent playmakers surrounding Julio Jones. So we haven't really seen such a dip. And also, remember, part of that is how your defense plays too, Paul. Let's Mm -hmm. not forget about that. With um, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, Houston's had a really good defense even though J.J. Watt's been banged up, they've been a respectable defense in the National Football League. Cincinnati has had a very respectable defense over the last few seasons. Falcons, Giants have been a little bit up and down, so I wouldn't necessarily put them in the same ballpark. And, you know, as I'm looking down the laundry list of other wide receivers that they have in tier number one, you know, same thing. You, you can argue that some of these wide receivers, first of all, are maybe not 
as dynamic as the Odell Beckhams and the Julio Jones, and that if you took some of these guys out of the lineup, I would argue they have a nice mix of talent already on the roster. For example, I mean, you look at Mike Evans in Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Mike Evans, you know, Tampa Bay has a lot of weapons on paper. They didn't live up to expectations this past season, but I thought the Bucks were stacked for the most part in terms of the tight end position, other wide receiver They've position, according to Sean Jackson. So, you know, if Mike Evans misses a game or two, I don't know necessarily if that's going to cripple the Bucks' offense as much as it would be if you took some of these other guys out of the equation. Oh, I would agree with that. I mean, to me, it's... It's almost laughable to put, you said 18 guys. Yeah, they got 18 in tier guys one. they have in tier that, one. That to me is laughable. Think about it. That's, that's, if you've got 32 teams in the league, you're saying more than half of the number one starting receivers in the league are top tier guys. That To me, that's a joke. I'm, I'm sorry, but to me, that makes the list absolutely irrelevant. And then they have three guys in tier two. Just three. Three guys in Tier 2. And then, let's see, really? Tier 3, they have... The rest of them. <laughs> right? <laughs> they have five in Tier 3. And then Tier 4, which they call the committee attack. Which is... Which I actually don't understand, but I guess their interpretation is, now that I'm looking at it a little bit closer, they don't feel that any of these teams have a true number one. That's why they put them in Tier 4. So they have the Cleveland Browns in Tier 4. They have the combo of Josh Gordon and Jarvis Landry. Then they have Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. They have- wait, wait, Jarvis Landry is in the bottom tier. Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the bottom tier. It's committee attack. So I think my interpretation of this, Paul, is that they don't think these teams that they're putting in Tier 4 have a true number one. I that's, mean, I get the fact that Landry is a slot guy. He is a slot, and yeah. And your number one is not usually your slot guy. But can anybody argue with his production? Well, that's why I said I don't think to me to me it's irrelevant where you line the guy up. It's all about is he producing. The list is who cares where you line him up. The list is just out of control. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's a very interesting list, and and that may be putting okay. it politely. Let's get to the calls. Tyreek. Oh, I just want to go over just real quickly. So Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins is also in tier four. Golden Tate, Marvin Jones. Then for the Rams, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and Brandon Cooks. They're just putting the whole group together. And Robert Woods had an outstanding season in 2017. <laughs> he did. And, and Brandon Cooks. You know, his numbers dipped a little bit with New England compared to where he was with New Orleans the previous season. But you're going to tell me it's a stretch to make a case for Brandon Cooks as a number one wide receiver? I don't think that's crazy. Alan Hearns and Terrence well, Williams he the be, Cowboys. Well, he should not be here in Tier it 1. Out. But then again, they're talking Nobody. about 18 guys in yeah. Tier 1. Well, so. Hold on. You can't put Brandon <laughs> Cooks in Tier 2? Come on. Well, that's my point. Yeah. I mean. You know, he, again, my Tier 1's got to be 3. If you want to max it out to 5, yeah, that's five it. 5 is fair you for Tier 1. You can't possibly go more than five when you consider the guys in the elite. That's just ridiculous. 18 tier one and then three in tier two. This is some list. We may need another program just to break things down. It's very wishy-washy. Yeah. Well, and that's what we get to when you evaluate any set of rankings, Paul. And we've done that a lot on this program. It's all through the lens of the person putting the list together. And everyone's going to have a different perspective. There is no right or wrong list in terms of rankings. This, this was not an Italian who put together the list. Well, I mean, clearly because it wasn't there's somebody... nothing about a paisan that's wishy-washy. We tell you exactly the way yeah. it is. The uh, spaghetti and meatballs uh, was not having that thick sauce. My goodness. Yes, yeah, right? Didn't live up to uh, the chef's expectations. Oh, baby. All right, let's open up the phone lines. We'll have Larry <laughs> Michael coming up at the bottom of the hour. 201-939-4513. Doug is in Rochester. Doug, what's happening? Hey, what's going on, Lance, and what's going on, Paul? Hi. Doing all right, Doug. What do you got for us? Um, I, yesterday we talked about the, uh, the free safety. Is, uh, I think, um, uh, Paul, you talked about uh, Michael, um, 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 Darren, Tom, Darren Thompson, and Lance, you talked about Michael Thompson. But, um, Michael Thompson, I know yeah. That, I know that John is kind of high on Curtis Riley. So is he, is he one of those um, safeties uh, campaigning for that position, too? Well, Riley, you have to understand with Curtis Riley, he's been a corner, so they're moving him to safety. He doesn't really have a great deal of substance at that position. So right now, it's more of an adjustment period. They want to have more options at the safety position. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Curtis Riley is one of those guys when we were talking, Paul, if they put three safeties on the field, you know, maybe he could defend the slot or you can move him on the outside as a corner, depending on your alignment. Well, you remember when Leon Hall was here. Yeah. You know, he was, he was used in that in that role. Uh, he could be on any given play. He could be an extra corner or he could have safety responsibilities. And if, if they determine 
that he indeed has the capabilities of picking up that part of the playbook, well, all the more better. I mean, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the starting free safety, although, quite honestly, I'm sure they're open to it. This is an open competition. Nobody has got that spot sealed. And if Curtis Riley winds up swooping in and becoming the starting guy and steals the number one spot, more power to him. Yeah, yeah, but like you said, those three safeties, maybe he can um, fill that up with the three safeties. I wanted to ask me being up in Rochester, that when the Giants um, scrimmage Detroit, that's not you, that's not going to be live on television, right? That's not going to be on television, or you won't be able to see it. Meaning the full practice? No, I, I yeah, mean well, I don't know yeah, what the, the Lions. Against the Lions. Well, I don't know what the Lions' plans are, but to me, I've never heard of a team actually fully broadcasting an entire practice. I would assume you'll get a lot of live look-ins on NFL Network, perhaps. They, yeah. they might do some of that uh, because they love to do live look-ins during training camp during the day when they have all their different Assuming shows on. Assuming, though, they're in Detroit at that time, too. I mean, remember, the NFL yeah, well, Network okay, is What about the, on the so. app, Giant app or Giant.com? I will be able to see some. Well, you'll be able to see highlights. I mean, I can guarantee you that our production team will be all over it in terms of highlights, but I don't think yeah. you're going to be able to see the full practice because you have to remember the Giants, what was it, a few years ago they went to Cincinnati with Tom Coughlin. And yeah, I remember yeah. 2015. 15, there were highlights that we put up on Giants.com, but the yeah. full practice was not broadcast. Yeah, to be perfectly yeah. frank with you, if you really want to get the flavor of what's going on. I know the Lions have already said they will be open to the public. You kind of have to go out there and watch it yourself. I'm uh, sorry. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. but another thing, me being up in Rochester, I can see the Giants games on television, but the preseason games, what network do I have to really get to see all the preseason games? Well, you know what? And I'm very studious about this because I know so many of the fans that the Giants have, especially those who watch the show on the web, are from out of the broadcast area. So you don't get the WNBC Channel 4 local broadcast of the games. And I'm sensitive to that. So what I always do, and if you check my Twitter, every time that I get word from NFL Network, I, I have a pipeline with those folks, they send me the complete broadcast schedule. They will have every preseason game on their airwaves. Some are live. A bunch of them are on tape delay. I always put up when the Giants' preseason games are going to be on NFL Network, whether they're live or on tape, so that the fans outside the broadcast area have the ability to check out those games, either on the TV or on your DVR. Yeah, so I don't have to – yeah, because the NFL Network, I forgot, they do replay the preseason games. It may play it the next day or the two days later. Within within three days, for sure, they have repeated every preseason game that was played that weekend. And remember, Doug, listen, if you want to follow it live, we also have full radio coverage of every single preseason game. So you can at least listen and then watch it on and tape that is, delay. Yeah. The radio on is on the app. Correct. Yeah, the radio and also streamed usually online as well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, streamline. Okay, and the radio. Yeah, I tell you, the radio is better than nothing. All right, then, guys. Thanks a lot. Good talking to you. All right, Doug, too. Good work. Thank Appreciate you. the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Let's hear from Jake in Vermont. Jake, what's happening? Hey, how we doing, guys? Good Hi, night, Jake. What do you got for us? Uh, I just wanted to uh, thank you guys for everything you do. I absolutely love the show. Appreciate um, that. Thanks for tuning I wanted in. To, I wanted to weigh in on the whole receivers, uh, you know, the top tier. I mean, that, that, trying to say there's 18 guys out there that are Becca Mask is pretty insane, if you ask me. <laughs> it's a unique perspective. But, yeah, I don't. Right. I don't know what. Say I don't know what. 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 Um, what kind of got a hold of the writer to put 18 people in the top tier? I mean, you, why even have a list if you're going to put that many in the top tier? Right. How, how do you have more people in the top tier than you do in the second and third tier combined? I mean, that don't even... Ridiculous. Well, because, uh, like I said, in, in his eyes, the writer, Mike Clay, he's claiming that he feels there are 18 clear number ones on NFL teams in the NFL. And then the reason why there's fewer in Tier 2 is because those guys are more in a gray area. And then as he continues to go down the list, then it's sort of like a committee attack. So he's claiming 18 of the 32 teams have a clear number one wide receiver. That's his take. Okay, well, then then the problem isn't so much with him. And I take it back. I don't mean to be insulting to the writer. But then the problem is it's a, it's a worthless point. 
to just tell me how many teams have a true number one receiver, that's just a useless point. That doesn't tell me anything. The, 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 if you're going to make a list of guys who are elite and start separating quality, that's a legitimate list to talk about. So this list, to me, just is like Swiss cheese. It's Well, but holes. I think that if you look at it in his mind, and, and this is my interpretation, DeAndre Hopkins is his number one wide receiver. Antonio Brown is his number two overall of the top tier. Do you understand? A.J. Green's three, Beckham's four, Jones is five. So that would be his top five. Yeah, but I don't care if there one. are 18 number one wide receivers in yeah. the league. All 18 are not elite. No, no, but what I'm saying is right. he ranked them in order within tier one. So what what, right. what you could come to is DeAndre Hopkins is at the top of the list, and then when he gets all the way down to 18, his last one in that grouping is Julian Edelman. So there is, in his view, a disparity between DeAndre Hopkins and Julian Edelman. Okay, That's all right, so I don't mean to mock him. Let me, let me just take it back. I don't mean to mock him. The point of the list was obviously much different than what we would usually think in terms of rankings or separation. But it to me, it's a it's just a pointless list. Right. Well, Lance just made the perfect point. I mean, to have A.J. Green ranked as your number uh, third or fourth guy, look at his numbers last year. I mean, he was far from the fourth best wide receiver in football. Well, I think, though, he's you looking know, at this from a career perspective. I don't think he's necessarily just taking into consideration the 2017 production because some of these guys were right. banged up. I mean, like Odell Beckham, if you were just to go by 2017, in fairness, I wouldn't put Odell Beckham number four no, because he barely played. He would be uh, incomplete. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. All right. Well, I don't, uh, don't want to take up too much of your guys' time. Just want to say I love the show. And well, I appreciate it, Jake. Excited. I think we got a good chance this year. Well, Thank thanks you. so much for weighing in. Appreciate it. Thanks for the phone call. Let's uh, continue to ride the phones because we have a special guest coming up at the bottom of the hour, so we want to give you an opportunity to weigh in. Greg is in Atlanta. Greg, what's happening? Hey, how you doing, Lance and Paul? Hi, Hello, Greg. What's happening with you? Not much, man. Just calling to say, you know, looking at the Eagles roster, and y'all spoke about it yesterday, y'all spoke on they have, like, tremendous depth. And I just wish, I know we just started with a new regime, new coaches and new teams and everything, but I just wish we start to build on our depth. And um, saying that, I just would like to see, um, I know there's Brian is like a, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for when it comes to him, but I just think if we are thinking Super Bowl this year or at least the next two years, to add someone like that to our roster would be tremendous. And I just wanted to know, and I'll take the answer offline, uh, uh, I just wanted to know, like, is there a way that you can write contracts up that tell, you know, that have little clauses in it, like, hey, if you have these antics on the field, you won't get paid. And, and you could draw up a contract like that, draw up one for Dave and give it to him and cut down on his antics, and we might have a Super Bowl caliber team, man. I'll take it offline, guys. Y'all take care. All right, Greg. Thank Appreciate you. the phone call. Well, the only thing I know is that a coach does have within the CBA rules the ability to fine a player if he breaks team policy and team rules. That's about the only discipline that I'm aware of. Yeah, there's usually some behavioral clause by default in contracts, and then also there's the personal conduct policy. That's a league policy. Well, that's, I Correct. think, a bigger picture. No, it's a bigger picture. But, yeah, there can be clauses put in contracts where you have specific behavior criteria, and if a player gets out of line, you have every right to find them. I mean, I don't think that's anything unique. We've certainly I will seen tell teams you, punish players before. I don't know definitively if any player who has gotten one of those celebration penalties on the field with a flag has been fined by his specific team for drawing that penalty. I don't know if that's ever happened before. Well, and some of those things may not even be publicly known. Well, no, I mean, they're, they're not. certainly not going to let everybody no, know about no, that. No, yeah. those are not But behind public, closed doors, they may find somebody. Were they ever done? I really don't know the it's answer to that. a good question. That. Yeah. That I, I'm not 100% sure about, but I don't think to answer the last caller's question, I don't think it's unheard of if you're a team executive and you want to have some language to protect you as a team that says, hey, listen, if you get out of line, we have the right to punish you or fine you or whatever it may be. But, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's the biggest concern, though, with Des Bryant. I mean, he's an emotional guy on the field, but, you know, if there's any question mark about Des Bryant, Paul, it's about his consistency production-wise. It's not and so, his health. 
Well, and it's he's held. Been, yeah, no, he's no, but, been pretty beaten up. Okay, but it's not it's not about the antics, as the last caller put it. I, I mean, right. that that would not be why I would fear signing a player like that. If anything, I, I well, would just ask myself, do I think he could produce at a high enough level that's better than what I already have on my roster? And is he a good complement? Can he accept a role with what I already it have? Would that's what I would ask. It would not surprise me if there were some coaching staffs and organizations that would shy away from him because of his sideline antics. He has gotten into a number of heated arguments on his bench with his coaches, with his teammates, uh, they have been very visual. They have been very well televised by television cameras. And I I could not hold it against selected folks in the league that did not want to touch that. Well, listen, I get that. Maybe the optics sometimes lead people to develop opinions. But, I mean, I remember he went at it with Jason Witten, and then when you hear the audio, it turned out to be not an argument. It just turned out to be a passionate conversation about you a previous play. You always have to do your due diligence and investigate those things Absolutely. before you make a final decision. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's something that I think they should certainly look into if they are interested because he's still out on the market. But I would not personally shy away from the player simply because of the concern over the antics. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Duke is in Queens. Duke, what's happening? Hey, guys. How's it going? Doing Hi. Taking my call? You got it. Hey, Thanks for up? making um, it. I got, uh, I got two questions, and then I have something to say after that. Um, sure. First question is, uh, if you guys could sort of change, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say mold, but I guess that's the right word. But if you could change a few guys' bodies on the team, and, and make it different than what it is right now, who would you change and why? So we're talking about the physicality of a player. Yeah. So if I wanted to yes. give him some more meat and potatoes is what you're asking us, <laughs> who would I give more meat and potatoes? We'll check with Angelo or, in the lunchroom <laughs> if we can pile up more food on the plate. Or who would I tell to slim down, I guess? <laughs> Yes, that's, uh, exactly. that's a very you. strange yeah. question. Well, it's a unique question. I think there's a lot of unique topics that have come no, up on me, today's show. Say, well, let me say why I asked this. I actually think Evan Ingram could maybe be a little bit bigger, but that's just me. But that's why I asked, because I had that thought, and it went on into that question. Well, he's a young player, too, keep that exactly. in mind. So, I mean, you got to figure yeah. his body is going to continue to develop over the next few years. I, I don't think that no, that's, that's crazy. I, I think an answer to your question would be, more suitable for a veteran player, somebody who actually has fully developed their body, and you're asking them to maybe, you know, stay off the chicken wings or whatever. If, it may if be. you'd like me to be a little bit serious about this question, if I could add yeah. another couple of inches and then another 15 to 20 pounds to his frame, I would do it to Brett Jones. Because right now, it's his rather smallish frame size for an NFL center. That is the only thing holding him back from being, you know, much higher on the grading chart. Because I think he's a really good player and he's a really good pass protector. But his run blocking in the run game, the power run blocking, much like Weston Richburg, because he's undersized frame-wise... There are certain matchups he's going to be on on the wrong side of. Well, because he's considered a smaller center. That's just to the most. way it is. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. you know, so if you could add an inch or two to him, height wise and frame wise, give him a little more bulk. I think Brett Jones would not even be involved in a competition. He'd be the starting center, and Jalapio would not be fighting him right now for that job. I'll take a page out of Paul's playbook, Duke, and I'll give a few more inches to Dante Dion. How about that? Okay. Because Dante Dion's man, a guy. Dante there Dion. Go. He's got plenty of upside too, but in fairness, he runs into taller wide receivers and it makes it I'm challenging. I'm so for embarrassed. Him. You guys know I've been like the biggest president of the Dante Dion fan yes. club since he got yeah. here. And so I'm terribly embarrassed that I didn't think of him first. Well, there you go. You triggered that in my but, mind. But remember, I've also been, since the day Brett Jones signed from the CFL, I scouted him and I was a big fan of his too. So two guys that are on Paul Dottino's fan list. We uh, right. are giving them a little bit more substance from a physicality standpoint. What else you got for us, Duke? And my other question is this. Um, I don't think you guys ever spoke about this, but the uh, the rookie quarterbacks, given where they went, um, who do you see being the best one out of the bunch, given where they went? Because from what I'm hearing from, like, scouts and NFL reports is that, one, Sam Darnold might start week one, and two, that um, – uh, what's his face? Number one pick. He might start as well from Browns. He might start as well. So what do you? who do you guys think might be the best out of that group, given where they went? 
So you're talking about the rookie quarterbacks that have the potential to start. Is that who you're referring to? Yeah, but but not necessarily the potential to start, but just that 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 they have like the brightest career ahead of them because of their teams, and you know something like that. Because I don't think you guys ever spoke about like how who you thought was going to be the best after they got drafted. Well, I you look, I I've I've said this for months. I think that that Allen has the best skill set. Now that does not mean he will have the best winning percentage by the time his career is over. But I stand by the fact that Allen has the best skill set of the quarterbacks in his class. I absolutely stand by that fact. And I think most people agree with me. The people who knock him don't, don't have anything to say about his physical tools. And they can't. I mean, it's pretty clear. Well, it's an interesting question, Duke, because we did, in fairness, talk about the quarterback's upside before the draft and who we thought exactly. was the top guy. And I was always very high on Baker Mayfield. But then I think it's a different question to say, okay, now that the quarterbacks are drafted, who do you think is actually a good fit for his respective team? Mm-hmm. So when you ask it that way, I still think Baker Mayfield is a good fit for Cleveland. Um, so I'm not going to necessarily shy away from that. The other guy, though, that I am intrigued by is Josh Rosen on the Cardinals. Sam Bradford, I'm sure, is going to get first dibs, but from a long-term perspective, Rosen is obviously the guy of the future in Arizona. I I like to see what Rosen could do in Arizona. I I like some of the talent around him, especially with the running game and the offensive line that they've improved. So that's a quarterback that I think could very well thrive early on. If he stays on the field and doesn't wind up running into some injury situations or concussion problems, if that doesn't happen... I'm inclined to agree with you in that I think he's in a pretty good position there to win a bunch of games. Yeah, so Rosen would top my list based on that question. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks for taking my call. And one thing really quick I wanted to say was that um, I think we should definitely get back DRC. Um, the fact that, you know, I remember the, the softball game where he, he was questioned about maybe returning yeah. and and the answer he gave, that let me know that, like, he, there was no real animosity between him and the team after he was gone, you know, so they, you know, because it was over a money thing, and some people can't handle money things, you know, money situations, they get pissed off, they're like, I'm not worth what? You know, I'm digging so deep. I'm, I'm glad that he's still optimistic. I'm digging deep. <laughs> I'm digging deep. <laughs> Yeah, I, I contribute. Oh, wow, boy. I Brad contribute. We're showcasing the real green on this program. <laughs> okay, thanks. All right, Duke. Appreciate the phone thanks. call. Thanks Thank so much you. for uh, weighing in. Let's uh, go to uh, Portland, Maine, where the uh, turning point of the program takes place, and that is uh, Charlie. Charlie's on the line. What's Hi, happened, Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. How are we doing, Beautiful Charlie? Beautiful day. Beautiful day up here today. Here, too. Beautiful. Yes, we can uh, relate to that. Yeah. Hey, I just got two things. One thing is, I, I I don't understand why, like Nick Gates, right? He's a he was a tackle. Why didn't we give him an opportunity to play tackle, to be a tackle when we need tackles? But then we bring in this guy, and we we want to put him at guard when we got a hundred guards, and then we bring in this guy who was a defensive tackle, trying to turn him into a tackle. It doesn't make sense to me. Why not give Gates the opportunity? to play as a tackle. If he fails in, in the preseason, like Paul said, you said like he's going to be able to practice squad anyway, most likely. Why don't you give him an opportunity to play the position that he's been playing? Well, the only thing I would say to you, Charlie, is that the scout work that I did on him, I saw a lot of trouble with the speed rushes off the edge, and I don't think he plays nearly as well given space out there. To me, he's much more of a phone booth blocker and I like him very much I told you that I like this guy but I see him as a as an NFL guard because inside you can be in that phone booth and I will tell you I have talked to a longtime NFL veteran personnel guy again not somebody in the building and I said to him I want you to take a look at some of this stuff because I like this kid tell me what you think and he did he came back his scouting report was exactly what I saw we agreed 100% this guy has all the technique, the tools, the demeanor. He can be an NFL guard. There's not much doubt about that. But he said the same thing to me. I would not put him at tackle unless it was in the middle of a game and an emergency situation because he played it at Nebraska. I could throw him out there without worrying that he's not going to have a clue. But I would not want him playing tackle on a regular basis out there at this level. It's asking too much for what his skill set is. 
So, so do you think you, you've seen Jones? Was it Jerron Jones? You think this guy has better technique and has a better chance of being a tackle in this league than him? I don't know that I think that either. Quite frankly, I think I think the <laughs> okay, Giants. Okay. I think the Giants are very thin on the depth chart at offensive tackle. Yeah, I think that's the that. that's the best way I can say it to you. Okay. And my, okay, my other question was: is, is I know every, everybody doesn't have any urgency about getting Beckham's contract done, uh, and you guys don't seem to, which is fine. But I think the urgency is going to come if he doesn't have a contract by September 9th. I think there's going to be big problems, and I am hoping that they will get it done before September 9th, or at least on September 9th in the morning before the game. Um, don't you think there'll be an issue and a problem if Beckham doesn't have a contract by at least the first game? The only thing I'll say, Charlie, is that you know the way the media swirls things, especially around here, and the the writers will have a feast if Beckham does uh, execute any type of holdout. I would say this to you, though, from a football perspective, knowing the way he works out and the way he prepares. Do you remember in 1986, Joe Morris held out and didn't actually sign his deal with the Giants until hours before they played the Cowboys opening night? And right. what happened What happened to those 86 Giants? What happened to Joe Morris that year? Turned out that holdout was long forgotten very quickly. And, and they had a Super Bowl season. So I would say to you from a football perspective, although I don't like guys missing all that time, uh, Odell Beckham is, is not goofing off. Uh, if you've seen any of his videos, you know he's preparing. And I, oh, I'm no, quite I confident. I'm quite confident that if, hypothetically, he doesn't sign till the day of that opening game, uh, I'm quite confident it's not going to impact his season. And, Charlie, we're going to let you go on that note. Plus, sure. I mean, he's been essentially present for every single no mandatory matchup and practice thus far. So I don't think it's an overwhelming concern. And the Giants also have the franchise tag in the event that they don't get anything done. That's always a weapon based on the CBA. All right, we're going to turn our attention now to a divisional foe for the Giants as we continue to preview the 2018 opponents. And we're now joined by a very special guest. He's the play-by-play -play voice of the Washington Redskins on the radio, and that is Larry Michael. Larry, you got Lance Metal, Paul DeTito with you here on Giants.com. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Everything is fantastic. Apologize for being a little bit late, but you no know, hey, we were getting ready, uh, getting ready for a little little vacation and camp, and so you're not enough time in the day. You know, <laughs> great to talk to you again, Larry. I, I guess we would really be remiss if we didn't start with the whole quarterback thing because, man, every time we've talked to you for the last three or four years, we've been talking about Kirk Cousins, and now he's gone. And I guess we're still going to talk about him for at least a few seconds here because they've made the change, and Alex Smith is is now the guy. What is that? transition been like here during the spring months well i tell you what guys it's uh it's been an interesting transition and i think uh the fact that the person that has come in here alex smith the maturity level that he has uh has made the transition uh very smooth here's a guy that's been been there done that as the saying goes he's played at the top of his game most recently last year i mean best year he's coming off of as a pro and he's a guy that comes in and, and is very confident in himself. He's not trying to find himself. He's not trying to promote himself on social media. He's not, he has no agenda other than to get the one thing that has eluded him, and that's winning the Super Bowl. So for this football team, he's been the perfect fit because it's, it's not just the last three years uh, we've had a, a quarterback really be the spotlight of the team. You're really looking back three years prior to that as well when Robert was here. So we've had – uh, we've had some young guys in here who have uh, made a name for themselves to varying degrees, and uh, but the team hasn't won. They haven't won the. They haven't gotten to the playoffs as often as they've liked. And you know, it's it was funny when Alex Smith uh, arrived. I had a chance to spend some time with him and get to know him a little bit. And, and in fact, I asked him about the social media, and I can't say on the air what he said, <laughs> but he, 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 he says, "Why the blank would I want that?" I'm here to win football games, which, you know, to, to somebody like me, boy, that's music to my ears mm -hmm. because, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, you, you know, again, this day and age, all the players have a right to self-promote and do what they have to do on their on their own social media. But if, if you don't win, you got to evaluate how you spend your time. So for this guy, the most important, he's got a beautiful family. Of course, his family is important to him, uh, but winning is important. And Jay Gruden realizes he has a veteran quarterback who already knows the West Coast offense, doesn't really have to teach him how to play the quarterback position. 
but they got to get on the same page, and that's why this offseason has been important. Uh, Coach was asked the other day at one of the press conferences during the OTAs, you know, how long does it take a veteran quarterback to get acclimated in this offense? He said, well, he better be ready week one. It's not like we have any time beyond that. So I like the way, I like the way Alex has stepped in, and he's not, he's not a real vociferous guy, but he's a very confident guy. And, 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 and really what he, what he does bring, he brings something that the team hasn't had in a while. I'm, I'm looking back in the days of Mark Brunel being here where you had a leader who was an experienced NFL quarterback who everybody knew. He knew every angle of approach, and that hasn't been the case. You've had young guys in these positions the last few years. So it's uh, it's been an interesting transition. I think he's an impressive individual. Well, let me ask you this, Larry. For the guy who's watching the Redskins on his television at home or the, the guys who are sitting in the seats and watching them on game day, how do you believe this offense will differ to their eyes as they have this new quarterback operating behind center? We know what Alex Smith's reputation was with San Francisco as a game manager. Then he goes to Kansas City and he starts throwing some more deep balls and has some success doing it. What will this offense look like with a different guy? Well, yeah, that's a great question. And I think, uh, what do you want it to look like, or what's it going to look like? And I think uh, one of the missing links the last few years has been a consistent running game. And I think if you look at Alex's success uh, at Kansas City, he's had a pretty good running game. Uh, he's had some dynamic playmakers around him. And obviously, you have to rely on the talent around you. You can't do it yourself. The one person this year for the Redskins, I think, that is going to be an eye-opener is Darius Geist, the running back. Kind of fell in their lap in the second round. He has looked very impressive uh, in all of the off-season workouts. Again, you know, you're not in pads, all the same trite stuff that we hear week after week, but you can only judge what you've seen. And this guy is a, this guy is a pretty good football player, and I think added to the guys that got back from injury, I think the running game is going to have to succeed for us to see the best of Alex Smith. And Alex is part of that running game. We know he likes to tuck it and go. He's a, he's a big, strong guy. I mean, he's, a, he's an imposing physical specimen. When you stand next to him, you don't I – mean, he's a pretty big guy. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's a strong-looking individual. But the running game hasn't really helped him out the last couple of years. I mean, I think last year it was under, under four yards of carry, which isn't going to get it done. And then red zone as well. I think the two things you're going to see different this year is success in the red zone, and you're banking on the experience of Alex Smith and, and obviously how he melds in with the coaching staff here in the play calling and a running game. Those are the two things that you're going to see if you're going to be looking at the Redskins offensively this year, and you're going to want to see them do better. I think you're going to see them do better running the ball and red zone offense. Without that, uh, Alex's performance, I mean, I don't want to say Kirk's performance uh, was meaningless because Kirk put a lot of yardage up there. He put a ton of yardage up there, and he played pretty good football. But, you know, red, sk- red zone success wasn't what you wanted, and your running game wasn't what you wanted. And Kirk didn't have much to do with the running game, but, of course, that has to be a tool uh, that he can use. And I know you guys up with the Giants, same type of thing. You know, I can remember the days when I first started with the Redskins. Man, Tiki Barber used to kill the Redskins. And then Brandon Jacobs did for a couple of years, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it hadn't been the case the last few years. Now you've got the best back out of college football, who's certainly going to help the team. So I think maybe you're looking at some similarity there, that the running game for both these franchises stands to be much better this year by virtue of what they've done. Of course, both teams also need to make sure that offensive line, for the Redskins, <laughs> it's health. Yeah. Redskins itself, and, you know, again, we're very close to the Giants, Cowboys, and Eagles because we see them so often, and especially for those of us on the East Coast, obviously, I mean, you know, pay attention to what's happening on the East Coast, the East Coast football teams, and the Giants' offensive line in what it used to be years ago. So that's another thing uh, that's going to have to be shored up. But both teams have those concerns, I think, as training camp's on the horizon. Well, Larry, speaking of the offensive line and the running game, I think one of the contributors why maybe there's been some ups and downs over the last few seasons is because of the injury bug. I mean, it seems as if the Redskins used a plethora of different backs after they drafted Samaj P. Ryan. Chris Thompson suffered a season-ending injury, and then on the offensive line, change at center. Spencer Long now leaves in free agency. You know, in terms of consistency... How does this offensive look like from a stability standpoint entering this season? And with respect to the running game, if Geis, as you mentioned, was a great value pick and becomes the workhorse, what does that mean for players like Thompson and Pirine moving forward? Well, yeah, that's a good question. And there's a kind of a logjam at running back. Rob Kelly is another one 
know, P. Ryan, by virtue of being a fourth-round pick last year, who had some signs last year. I mean, didn't really carry the whole load. He looks like he could become a pretty good back. Chris Thompson, I thought, was on his way to by far his best year as a pro. And yeah. folks around here felt he was having a Pro Bowl season as a third-down back. And that that's a, he blossomed last year. And I got to tell you, at the beginning of the year, especially the win at the Rams, I mean, there were some there were some plays he made that that he wouldn't have made the years past, and and he's coming back from a broken leg, and he's been ready to go. I think he's a player who's going to be a hundred percent. I think he's about ready now, but they've been cautious. So you, you you identify a situation here where you know somebody good is not going to make the football team, and I think that's good news if you're following the Redskins. If you're going to be letting go good football players, that means you've evaluated the players that are better, and you're going to go with the better player. Uh, there's a guy named Capri Bibbs who came in last year due to injury, and he had a couple of nice games for the Redskins. And, again, he's a third-down back. So how many backs can you carry? This is a team that hasn't carried a fullback the last couple of years. I doubt they will this year. Uh, tight end situation, it's a numbers game. How many offensive linemen? It goes down to the same thing with these teams every year. When you're looking at a logjam at a position, I think Geis, uh, Rob Kelly, um, Probably Chris Thompson and P. Ryan. I mean, those are going to be your four bracket backs if you go with four. And Rob Kelly has had some pretty good moments as a Redskin, but again, you know, last year got hurt, and now you draft a player. I mean, you're not going to keep guys in bubble wrap. I don't see that happening. He might get eased in there somehow, but <laughs> sooner or later, you're going to have to cut him, cut him loose, and let him do what he was drafted to do. And he, he's shown a lot of promise. So. You guys have identified a position there that uh, there is, uh, and it's funny how a, a season changes. That you know, last year you literally were picking guys up off the street yeah. to have them fill that position, and this year, uh, you know, due to uh, recovery by Chris Thompson and, and Kelly, they're both 100 percent in pretty good shape there. You know, if the offensive line does what they need to do and the running game gets it done, well, you still need production out of the wide receivers. And, you know, to, to me, Larry, I, I'm, I don't know. I know Crowder put up a lot of catches, but doesn't get into the end zone a whole lot. Dotson, I think, I think to this point, you probably would say he's a bit underwhelming. I think you probably wanted a little more out of him a little sooner. But, but where do you see this receiving course shaking out in terms of guys who are going to make the biggest plays? Well, I think, you know, it's time for Doxon to step up. And I think his first year was injury-plagued. His rookie year as a first-round pick. I mean, he didn't get on the field very much. He was hurt during the offseason. So for him, I, you know, I almost look at last year as being his first year. And he'll tell you himself, uh, he made some real big catches, but he dropped a couple of balls. And one of the balls against the Kansas City Chiefs could have won that game. It yeah. was a very hard catch. Uh, but I think you see you've seen an increase in his maturity to be able to sit here, admit what he has to work on, and you can just see him. He is, uh, he's much more comfortable this year than he's been in the first two years just by virtue of knowing what he has to do. Crowder's in the final year of his contract. I mean, he's got he's to put those numbers up. He started slowly last year, had a hamstring early. By the end of the year, he's a very reliable slot receiver. And, yes, uh, you guys are right. He's got to get in the end zone more often. He brought Paul Richardson in. Last year, with the departure of Garcon and Deshaun Jackson, they probably didn't have that speed guy uh, to replace Deshaun Jackson. And Paul Richardson has been better than advertised in terms of the offseason so far. Uh, again, he's got a pretty good upside. Uh, in Seattle, he had a decent year. I think he had about 49 catches. He averaged about 17 yards a catch. He's a speed receiver. You'll see him in the mix. And the Redskins have a, a whole a whole group of young guys that are, uh, are, are just young potential receivers. A guy like Mo Harris made a couple catches last year. A guy like Robert Davis, a 6'2", 220-pound receiver, practice squad guy last year, has looked very impressive during the offseason this year. So, but you're, you're, looking at, you're looking at Josh Doxson needing to ascend to what should have been uh, you know, the potential of a number one pick. I think you know, he's got that in him. Uh, this is the year he's going to have to do it. And Crowder, again, you know, you're talking about a guy that might get 80, 80, 85 balls, but mm-hmm. around the red zone, again, and, and I don't think you can have this conversation without talking about the absence of Jordan Reed, yeah. who's not your typical tight end. Uh, he is a hybrid tight end, even though he's put some weight on. He's, uh, he's looking to become a better blocker. But he provides options underneath that help the entire passing game, and that was missing last year. So he's the wild card. He's coming back from injury, and he's been working hard. I think he'll be fine. I think for a quarterback like Alex Smith, to have Jordan Reed healthy and available, Jordan Reed could end up being the leading pass catcher on this team. 
just because of the way he plays and how it fits into the game that they're looking for. Uh, you know, you look you look at Kansas City last year, the tight end, pretty good tight end there. Pretty good tight end, Pro Bowl tight end. And Jordan Reed's the same type of player. And, there, you know, there, there's the old man Vernon Davis who stepped in last year and yeah, turned yeah. back about the time. Yeah. And I don't know, the guy keeps himself in great, great condition. I mean, there's not a better conditioned guy, and that's a, a lesson to learn. You get to be about 34, and you've been through the wars, and this guy is just ripped, and he just never lets himself get out of shape. Beneficiary last year, he had a pretty good year. Now, thinking of him as a complimentary player to a healthy Jordan Reed, now you're talking about weapons that Alex Smith can work with. But the wide receiving core, I mean, again, I think you got to look to Josh Doxson to be the leading guy this year. It's time for him to do it. Talking with Larry Michael, Redskins radio play-by-play voice, and it's interesting you brought up Vernon Davis because I agree with you, Larry, that you know Jordan Reed is such a wild-card X-factor. The question is, can he stay healthy? He's never played full 16-game season, but you know Vernon, I thought, did fill in admirably last season. And the other thing is, you know, he and Alex Smith have familiarity with one another because yep. they both played together in San Francisco. Sure. So how much is that perhaps a difference maker, knowing that if you go back to Alex Smith's days with the Niners, he's always usually built good chemistry with that tight end position who's been a nice security blanket. Well, you know, when uh, when uh, Alex, when the rumor, uh, actually the trade came down, we were at the Super Bowl. You guys might remember that. Uh, it happened Super Bowl week. And Vernon Davis was at the Super Bowl because he was promoting the U.S. curling team. He was a <laughs> spokesperson for the U.S. curling team. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but did not. one of those yeah. trivial pieces of information. <laughs> uh, but but the day, the day that the trade was announced, we're at the Super Bowl, and Vernon was there, and you, you, he was smiling ear to ear. He says, you're not going to believe what this guy's about. It's, and I think he realized that Alex Smith coming here could add years to his career because they have that tight of a connection. I mean, Vernon Davis has caught more passes from Alex Smith than anybody else. He's got more touchdown passes from Alex Smith than anybody else. These guys are close, close buddies from the time in San Francisco, and for them to be reunited, at this point in their careers, after what they've each been through, I think they look at each other and say, man, we're in a special spot here. Let's make it special by winning some games. So it's an exciting dynamic. I don't know how much, I mean, obviously Vernon, again, he turns back father time year after year. Uh, again, if Jordan Reed is healthy, Vernon Davis has not lost much speed up the seam. I mean, he'll go right up to hash up the numbers, and he'll be able to beat a safety that's covering him just with his speed, which opens up some other possibilities for the offense. But if you're going to focus on Vernon Davis to be your, your number one tight end because Jordan Reed isn't there, you're not only putting Vernon in a, I don't want to say overtax situation, but in a situation that's going to tax him, and then you don't have your biggest weapon, Jordan Reed, out there either. So I think that dynamic plays off of both of them. There's a young tight end, Jeremy Sprinkle, a draft pick from last year, got a taste of NFL action. He's a big imposing presence, and, and for the run game, that's going to be good news. But a healthy Jordan Reed is going to complement Vernon Davis and vice versa. So, I mean, that, that's a dynamic this year. An off-season structure is going to be the status of, status of Jordan Reed once we get to training camp. And, you know, the, and, and, and again, you got some guys here that didn't practice. Do they start on pup? We're going to wait and see. We don't know yet. Uh, we'll see how, they, how it goes when they report down there on July 25th. You know, Larry, let me flip it to defense and talk about another guy who's kind of trying to fight father time, if you will, Orlando Skandrick who is certainly one of the more familiar names who is now new to this Redskins roster, not new to the division, of course, having played a lot of years with the Dallas Cowboys. I know they believe he's going to be an upgrade to that secondary, and and we know that in the last couple of years the Redskins have gone defensive line with their number one draft choices. So if you could address how you think those guys will improve the defense. Well, you know, Skandrick, you know, it's kind of a funny story. He came here for a visit, and then he was signed. And before you knew it, he was sitting here in the TV studio with me, and we do a daily Redskins Nation show here locally. And he was sitting here. He could not believe he was a Washington Redskins. He just couldn't believe it. <laughs> He's a lifelong cowboy. And he was, he was. I would say, I mean, I think state of shock might be a way to describe how he, how he seemed. But since then... And he's a grizzly veteran, and he's got all the angles, and I think he's a great teammate for these guys. I think that a veteran like that who can play slot or corner, he doesn't mind coming off the bench. I know he wants to be a starter, and with the departure of Bashard Breeland, you kind of have a spot over there. you got Quentin Dunbar, a player who showed great promise. He's improved every year. He's he's there as a potential starter. you got Fabian Moreau, a high draft pick last year. Would have been a second or first round pick if he hadn't torn his peck in his pro day. 
he got through his first year uh, as a pro, and he's expected to take a step up this year. And you got Josh Norman, who is in the—I mean, the guy's in the best shape of his life. I don't know—I don't know how, how often this guy takes a break. He seems to be working out 24 hours a day. So, you know, you hope that you hope one of these guys steps up. I think Skandrick specifically is going to help with the department. So Skandrick, if nothing else, would be your slot corner, and he'd be he'd be a capable replacement. You know, I remember him as a cowboy. It's kind of weird still seeing him here, but after having a couple meals with him and knowing. I think maybe he and Kelvin Hill should have some dinner together. They could commiserate <laughs> yeah. about that kind of switch, right? That's another one. Yeah, we see Kelvin Hill, you know. I mean, obviously, it's a Kelvin Hill's a complex guy. I mean, his son grew up 10 minutes from Redskins Park, Grant Hill. And so sure. he's, he's a local kid. And Calvin, uh, man, you know, Calvin got blown up as a cowboy. Famous famous tape, one of the uh, the Walt Garrison game when Walt Garrison got tackled. <laughs> Calvin Hill got knocked out by Mike Pass. And Calvin Hill became a Redskin. Calvin, Calvin Hill lives in D.C., but he works for the Cowboys. I can't keep up with them, okay? <laughs> it's quite a triangle in terms of all the connections within the division. Uh, last one for me, Larry. In terms I wanted of, yeah. Larry to finish up on Allen and Payne, the two first-round picks. On well, the that, that's what I was going to oh, follow up and ask. Go right ahead. So you, yeah. were reading, <laughs> you were reading my I mean, this, mind. This yeah. is what you're talking about. This is the exciting part of this football team is the defensive line, which has not, not been the strongest part of this team over the last couple of years, but it goes to show you if you're going to invest in some top picks and you got two of them in there and both, you know, right now those guys are going to compete. Uh, I think you'll both see that you'll see them both starting, but you know Jonathan is coming off an injury last year. He could have come back last year. Uh, they didn't bring him back. They wanted to, you know, the Redskins weren't going to the playoffs. They didn't trot him out there, you know, without any training after he hurt his foot, and and he was off to a great start. Payne looks to be a bigger presence. I think you might find him in the middle of that front three, at least on first down. And everybody's hung up on four three versus three four, but you know. You know, two thirds of the time they've got a four-man front. You guys know what that's all about. It's, mm-hmm. it's a constant mix and match, different packages. Every single play, it's a different package. But then you got a guy like Tim Settle who dropped to them in the later rounds, high upside, twenty-year-old nose tackle out of Virginia Tech, very well trained. You got a couple other guys like Anthony Lanier. Lanier last year, after a year of grooming, uh, became a pass rushing force. And another guy who you know is is very raw, but each year he's taking a step up. Matt Ioannidis out of Jersey, uh, went to Temple. I mean, he's a kid last year who, again, when Jonathan Allen was there, these guys were extremely formidable. I think that was a key to the Redskins' success defensively earlier in the year when they were healthy. And all the I mean, your average age on this defensive line is about 22 years old. So, I mean, Ziggy Hood's the, the veteran of the group, uh, but the rest of these guys are all draft picks over the last couple of years. And so, and Jim Tomsula is just a uh, just an incredible defensive line coach. Uh, he's part teacher, part father figure, part mentor, guru, whatever you want to call him. And these guys, they live by the teachings of Tom Sula, and he's an outstanding coach. So I think you know, what would have been a weakness midway through last year now has turned into one of the deeper positions on the team by virtue of the way they've drafted. And again, you know, you can't you can't predict health. You couldn't have predicted 19 players on injured reserve last year. So you hope that you know the law of averages and the football gods even out this year if you. If you're a Redskin fan, because you, you can't stand another injured year like last year. Well, and I think the Giants can relate to that too, Larry, given all of the injuries that yep. they struggled with early in the season. Absolutely. It put both of these teams' depth charts to the true test. And that literally yep. was the big difference even in this division when you look at what became of Philadelphia. And the last one for me before we let you go, Larry, you know, given the fact that you, like us, you see the full division, you know, what's your take in terms of perhaps the differential between the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Redskins, and the Giants? I know it usually comes down to the wire. We have not had a back-to-back division winner since the Eagles won four in a row in the early 2000s. How do you see this season playing out within this nucleus of teams? Well, I mean, you know, I think we all have uh, the mutual feeling about the Cowboys, and I think, you know, you're going to look at a different Cowboy offense this year, and Dak Prescott going into his final year of his contract, uh, he's not going to get paid on the yardage game by Ezekiel Elliott. 
and he's losing a couple of weapons in Witten and Des Bryant. We'll see how that sorts itself out. They still got a great offensive line. Um, the Giants, you know, I mean, to me, as long as Eli Manning's with the Giants and you can put Beckham out there, I'm a big fan of Barkley. Uh, you know, I think the Giants are always competitive. Philadelphia, to me, is an interesting story. I've got a ton of respect for their head coach. I thought by the second half of the season, he had everybody guessing. His play calls were remarkable. He had mm-hmm. everybody guessing. I think he did a great job. Yeah. You do have the dynamic of the quarterback coming back, and the quarterback who won the Super Bowl is going to have to be patient. And if Wentz is ready, he's going to have to sit. And so they, they have the typical year-after Super Bowl issues. I do think the division, having witnessed these games for the last 14 years this year, any one of these teams can win the division. I think you're going to have to be fortunate when it comes to injuries, which really beat the Giants and Redskins up rather badly last year. Mm-hmm. I think you have to take advantage of your opportunities, and you have to win your games at home. And for the Redskins, that's been difficult against the Giants. They have not won as many uh, conference games at home as they need to. So you win your home games. Uh, you do well in division. I think all these teams, uh, barring a catastrophic injury, uh, could be in the running at the end of the year, and that's what makes it special. I, I quit trying to predict. Actually, I do predict the Redskins to win every week. Uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a matter of working yourself into a frenzy each week on how this team needs to play to win. And if you're a fan of a team, that's what fans do. They think, well, you know, if, if we can get this out of this part of the team and if we can stop this guy, we got a chance to win. And that's the beauty of the NFL. I mean, it, you know, I think all these teams are going to be competitive this year, but I, I guess, you know, the one that we all want to see fail the most is the Cowboys. I, I can't deny that. <laughs> <laughs> great well, talking to you again, Larry. Larry Thank Michael, you. Redskins radio play-by-play Bye, voice. Fellas. Larry, greatly appreciate the, the time and the insight. Thanks so much. All right. See you soon. Bye Sounds now. good. Break it down. What to expect from the Washington Redskins in 2018. So we've got two of the three divisional foes in the books. Dallas Cowboys will be coming up along our journey across the 2018 team opponents. Tomorrow we preview the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I'll be uh, sitting in with John. So there you go. Switch gears to the AFC as they will have to deal with the AFC South this coming season. We appreciate everybody for tuning in. That's going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Up and running again tomorrow at noon Eastern. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Speak to you tomorrow. Have a good one.